0: Welcome to Agape Ministries Podcasts, a whole new way of thinking. Episode 164, part one of the talk given by Andy Croft, entitled Relationships of Love.
1: Great. It's a real privilege to be here. Uh, as these guys said, my name is Andy, and I just live in Watford, so it's just down the road. It's not far from me. Um, and I have done a few things uh, with Celebrate before, and every time I do, I just I just love it. Um, I feel like I, I come home. And um, anyway, so the theme for the theme for this little weekend is the hope of the world, Jesus, the hope of the world. And that verse, which you've got up on the screen there, uh, or at least the reference to it, about... Jesus in his name nations will put their hope and I I really kind of just want to talk about that one that one verse really and and what it means to put your hope in the name of Jesus and and why to do it and why for me personally I've decided to do it I decided to do it when I was 16 years old and uh, it's been a bit of a journey since then but I haven't really looked back and um, the Bible, as I'm sure many of us know, is a book that sometimes we can approach with a bit of trepidation, because sometimes we think it's a book that's all about what we're meant to do and what, what we're not meant to do in life, and it's a whole book of rules. And actually, the more that I've read it, the more I've got to know my Bible, the more I've discovered it's, it's about relationship more than anything else. It's about relationship with God. And we all know, because we all have relationships of one kind or another, that relationships can be complicated. Um, I know this from experience. And uh, I'm married, my wife is called Beth, and um, I'm just going to tell you, share with you just just for a few minutes how Beth and I uh, got together. And the way it happened is basically I left home, which is in the north of England, and I moved down to Watford for a gap year, and I decided that I was going to have this year where I was just going to concentrate on God. I don't know if you've ever had a year where you decide I'm just going to concentrate on God, but for me, one of the first things that happened is I saw this girl and I thought, well, she's pretty hot. And I realized I was not going to be concentrating on God this year. And I, um, I, I nicknamed her Hot Beth to my friends, obviously not to her face. And I, I started to say to all my friends, oh, yeah, i got this thing for this girl, Hot Beth, and um, uh, going on and on about that. And anyway, Hot Beth went to church. And so uh, one day after the church service, imagine my surprise when Hot Beth came up to me and she said, oh, hey, Andy. And I said, hello, Beth. <laughs> And she said, oh, um, you know, have you heard of this band, such and such? Uh, I said, no, I haven't. She said, well, they're playing at the pub tomorrow night. Do you want to come and watch them with me? And I thought, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so I said, yes, I would like that very much. And uh, I said, let me give you a number. So I got her number. And then um, I went back to, um, well, a, few, a whole load of us went to the pub, actually, after church. I remember going to the pub after church. And Beth was there. And I did that thing where you play it cool, where I was kind of like, I know you're here. And you know I'm here, but i um, I'm not talking to you, I'm just aware of you." And then, and then she left the pub uh, early. And so I got my phone out in all of my friends' faces at that point. And I was saying, I have just got Hot best number. That is right. And I had this uh, friend up in Durham who I'd been telling that's where I was from. And I'd been te- telling him and texting him backwards and forwards about how I have this thing for this girl, Hot best. So before I went to bed that night, I sent him this victory text message, which said, uh, I have just got Hot best number. She has asked me out. I am a total legend. And it had the word RESULT in capital letters with an exclamation mark at the end of it. And then I sent that text to Beth, (laughs) and it came up, right? It came up on my phone, pending Beth, and I thought, oh, no. So I started pressing cancel, 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 cancel on my phone. And then it came up with this thing, error one, which it had never done before. And I was like, okay. So I, check, I, I checked, my, um, checked my outbox. And my outbox told me on my phone that it hadn't sent. But it had. But at that point, I thought i got away with it. So I was like, oh, my word. Thank goodness for that. Put my phone away. I'm not touching that. Went to bed. And then, um, and then I woke up the next day. And Beth rang me the next day. And I saw Beth calling. Hello, Beth. And uh, she said, oh, hey, Andy, how you doing? I'm doing very well, how are you doing? And she said, yeah, I'm OK. And then she said, you sent me a text yesterday. And I said, no, I didn't. <laughs> and she said, yes, yeah, you did. And then I was like, oh, no, what do I do? What do you do? So I just thought, the only thing I can do is laugh this off. So I started going, ha, 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 that's so funny. I can't believe I did that. And, uh, Beth was like, yeah, ha, ha. And, uh, and then she said, and I said, so we still, you know, we still, on um, for, for going to the pub, um, tonight. And then she said, yes. And then she explained to me, she said, I just feel like I need to be clear with you that I wasn't asking you out and that there's a whole bunch of us going to the pub. And I was just asking if you wanted to come along with the group. And that was like, you know, being stabbed. And then I went back to my, <laughs> my flat, um, where I had my flatmates and they were like, so are you ready for your date tonight? And I said, it's not a date. And they were like, yeah, yeah, all right. And I was like, no, really, it's not a date. But I just couldn't tell. I couldn't bring myself to tell. I was so embarrassed. And we went out. It was pretty awkward uh, that evening with, with other people. And then, um, unfortunately, I was going away because I was doing this internship with a guy called Mike who runs Soul Survivor. And he was speaking in Canada the next day. So I, I, um, we arrived at the airport. We were leaving the country for two weeks, the safest place to be. And I remember... Um, Uh, I thought, this has obviously happened to humble me. So who's the worst person that I could tell? And Mike and I, we have quite a rivalry. Uh, We're very competitive with one another. So I sat him down, and I told him what had happened. And he was in hysterics. And that's like giving him a weapon, basically, and saying, stab me, please. So for the next two weeks in Canada, wherever we were, he would bring this story up. There was one time we were in a restaurant with 20 20 church leaders. I don't know them, and they don't know me. And Mike tapped his glass, like you do when you're making a speech, rose to his feet in the restaurant and told them all. And I was sitting there completely humiliated while they laughed their heads off at me. Um, I know. But uh, anyway, so Beth and I, we didn't get together... For two years after, after I sent that text message. So the first lesson I wanted to share, really, when it comes to relationships, I've discovered this, guys. If you're here, if you have someone who you're into, and she's not that into you at the moment, I have found that if you keep hammering away for long enough, eventually they do crack. <laughs> so just keep going. And. Uh, You probably all have your own stories about relationships and how complicated they can be, but there's no book that's got relationships that on one level are more complicated than the relationships that we find with a whole bunch of people that are in the Bible and the way in which they treat one another, they react to one another. But massively, obviously, the key relationship is the relationship that we have as the human race and also we have as an individual person with God and how that is meant to outwork. And as well as being messy, it's also unbelievably, wonderfully simple, and it's this, it's that we walked away from him and we choose to turn our back on him when we want to live life for ourselves, which many of us do. Even when we've been Christians for a while, we still do it at times and for seasons. We turn our back on God and then what God does is he perseveres and he comes after us and he chases us. And we're a little bit like these people that, you know, if you can imagine you get lost on a dark night on a moor somewhere and you're kind of wandering around thinking, where the heck am I? And, and you, you you get into a place where you don't know that there's a way out and it beki- begins to look completely hopeless. If in a situation like that someone came alongside with a flashlight who knew the way you'd be like my word this is such a relief I thought I was lost now I realize I found someone who knows a way Jesus is that person so we get lost and then what God does is he comes himself in the person of Jesus to show us the way to show us how to be found to show us how to come alive again and uh, he is the hope of the world I love that 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 line at the end of that so I've fallen in love with the hope of the world and um, he's, he's a hope for all sorts of different reasons. The first reason that Jesus, I've discovered that he's a hope, is he gives me hope that I am worth something. He gives me hope that I'm worth something. And on the surface, I think lots of us, we, we um, don't we? Of course we do. We put up barriers, we put up walls, and you know, we try and pretend like we think we're all that. But underneath the surface, we've actually got questions and we've, we're not totally sure. And we get glimpses of it in different parts of our, our world today, different parts of culture. So you go on YouTube, I don't know if you've got a channel on YouTube or you follow people on YouTube, but one of the things that you'll find, we were just talking about it at our festivals this summer, is that if you go on YouTube and type in, am I ugly? Be honest. You'll get a whole load of videos of young people, some of them you know, as young as 11 Who have put videos of themselves online and they're, they're saying, people tell me that I'm ugly. What do you think? Tell me honestly. Tell me the truth. Be honest with me. I can take it. Do you think that I'm ugly? Short little videos. And then people write in the comments beneath. And if you read the comments, you know, some people say nice things, but lots of people, you know, write horrific things. Yeah, you are ugly. If I look like you, I'll put a bag over my head. Yeah, you are ugly, your forehead is massive. Yeah, you are ugly, this, that, and the other. And, and there, are, there are people who, who, who so don't know, we so don't know sometimes what we're worth, that they're posting videos of themselves on YouTube, asking total strangers what they think of them. And that's, that's like an extreme version But there's a whole load of stuff that's in all of us that's under the surface. And what we can sometimes do is we can try and find our sense of worth and our sense of who I am from what we do. And whether it's we're great at sport or we're great at exams or we're really good looking or with a funny one or whatever it might be or we get a promotion at work, we go looking for some sense of self-worth and some sense of security in all of that. And that stuff, although it seems attractive, I don't know if you find this, it never satisfies It always creates insecurity, because if it's like, I'm going to be the smart one, then sooner or later, someone smarter comes along. If I'm going to be the funny one, sooner or later, someone funnier comes along, or the good-looking one, the same thing happens, or the sporty one. And so we try and find some sort of rock, some sort of bedrock that is, is secure, and it's like, there I'm going to build my sense of worth. There I'm going to build my sense of identity. But it turns out, ultimately, to be sand, and it slips between our fingers, because it's never a secure footing. And so what we can do is we can spend loads of our time trying to find that safe place and never quite managing it. And then when Jesus comes into the world, he comes with this massive message, which is God thinks we are worth something. And the way that God sees us is he sees all of us. So he sees you know, the bit that we put on kind of Facebook, which is the bit we want everybody to see. And then he also sees the bit that we would never mention to anyone. He sees the bit under the surface. He sees the stuff that we hide, the stuff that we look at on the the internet, the stuff that we're addicted to, the stuff that we think about people. He sees all of that, and he still comes. And he still thinks that we're worth something. Um, My friend Mike, the one that leads Soul Survivor, he tells a story about how he was listening to the radio one day, and there was this backpacker who was on the radio who'd been backpacking around a part of Indonesia where there was lots of little islands. And um, the backpacker was telling a story, and he was saying that in the story... Yeah, he said in the story, what happened was, he was backpacking around, he was sitting on a little boat, and uh, he was talking to some of the fishermen, and they were saying that there was this particular custom in that part of Indonesia, that um, obviously we wouldn't do it here, and it's you know, not good, but in that part of Indonesia, um, a husband would buy his wife, and the way that he would pay for his wife is he would buy her with cows. So he would give a certain number of cows for his wife and you know, then they would get married. And uh, the fishermen were saying that the way that they worked it out in that part of the world was that the number of cows a, a, woman, a man would pay for his wife depended on how attractive everybody thought she was. So if she was super, super attractive, they would pay maybe three cows. If she was not particularly attractive, they might pay half a cow, and they would kind of work it out like that. And he, and he was saying the most that had ever been paid for anyone's wife in the history of the islands was five cows. That was the most they would ever pay for a woman. And um, and then they said they were having a good laugh amongst themselves because they said on the island that they were heading to there was a man who had paid five cows for his wife, and they could not believe this, because they were saying, she is not at all good looking. She's really, really not. One of the fishermen said, you'd have to pay me two cows to marry her. <laughs> and- Anyway, so when this guy got to the island, he starts wandering around the island and he goes looking for the guy who's paid five cows for his wife. And uh, it's not hard to find him because everyone knows where the idiot who paid five cows for his wife is. And so eventually he finds this guy. He goes to his, and he knocks on the door and he says to him, Look, you know, what are you doing? Do you, don't you realize that everyone on the islands is laughing at you? Why have you paid five cows for your wife? And this guy looked at him and he said, I've paid five cows for my wife because she's worth five cows. To me and he said she knows that I paid five cows for her so do you know what she does she walks around the island with her head held high and she says I am a five cow woman <laughs> she says you you over there you're just worth three cows you half a cow I am worth five cows and he says because she knows that I paid five cows for her she walks around with her head held high and she becomes all the more beautiful for it Do we know how much we are worth to God? It's not five cows, so much more than that. It's the life of his only son. It's his own life that he gives. I'm worth Jesus to him, the most precious gift that he could give. And I I think about that and I find that like, what, I'm worth all of that to God? And then I I look at myself and I think, Really? Like, are you sure, Lord? Like, I'm not sure about that. I see my mess, and I see that, and I realise how broken I am. And so much of it, for many of us, it's like we know we're broken, so we struggle to accept that's how much we're worth. Um, There's a there's another guy that I I heard about who was playing True Story. He was playing um, with his little girl one day. And her favourite toy, bit weird, but her favourite toy is one of those China dolls, like a porcelain China doll. And so they would keep it on the mantelpiece, and then every now and then they would take it off the mantelpiece, they would give it to her to play with for a little while, and they would put it back on the mantelpiece for safekeeping. Anyway, one day, Daddy and daughter were having a pillow fight. Uh, They were going to town, you know, smacking each other with pillows, and uh, there was this particular moment where Daddy pulled back his pillow to get a really good swing at his little girl. And he pulled it right back. And he said, as he pulled his pillow right back, he knocked the china doll on the mantelpiece and it started to topple. And then, he says, it fell, and it was as if everything went into slow motion. They saw this door falling, and both daddy and little girl went, no, as they try to grab this doll, and it smashed into a whole load of pieces on the floor. And then this little girl starts crying, crying, crying. She says, Daddy, you broke my doll, you broke my doll, you broke my doll. And Daddy says, I'll get you a new one. I've got a credit card. Daddy's got a credit card. I'll buy you another one. And she said, I don't want another one. I want that one. And she points to this doll that smashed the pieces on the floor. So what the dad did is he went and bought some superglue, and he swept up all these little pieces of this doll. And he took them on. He started to glue. It took him three hours to glue this little doll back together. And when he managed to glue her all back together, she did not look quite normal. She was a bit. Um, <laughs> but he glued her back together. And he brought her to the little girl. And he said, look, darling, here's, here's the doll. Um, I'm sorry. She doesn't look like she used to look. I'll buy you another one. And she said again, I don't want another one. I want that one. And she pointed to the doll in his hand. And he said, but darling, this one's broken. And then she said, just because she's broken doesn't mean that I can't love her. And for us, part of getting why he's the hope of the world, why he's your hope, is because just that he knows we're broken. And he loves us anyway. And he gives all of who he is for us anyway. So he's my hope because he shows us how much we're worth. And he can be all of our hope in that sense as well. Another reason he's my hope is because he shows me I can change. And I didn't, (laughs) I've only just begun to realise in the last few years how much I need to change. Uh, I used to think I had it all sorted. But then I got to know Jesus and I realised, oh, there's a a few things I could do differently, a few ways that I could live differently. So so for me, um, one of the things that happened when I was growing up, when I was, I think it was about 16, is I got dumped. Anyone been there? Two of you, great. (laughs) Let's chat afterwards. Um, But anyway, I got dumped, and I remember at that particular point in my life, that was really quite a painful thing. That was a a big deal. It really hurt a lot. And I can consciously remember deciding uh, at that point I would never let someone hurt me again. So I decided th- that's it. That's the last time I ever feel out of control. That's the last time I ever give someone that sort of power over my, st- you know, my emotions and what have you. I'm, g- I'm not going to allow that to happen again. And so I don't think I was doing this all on the surface. I see it now when I look back. But then I decided I would just shut down a little bit emotionally. So I kind of closed myself off. And um, I was friendly. And, uh, you know, if you hung out with me, I don't, I don't know if you would have picked it up necessarily. But what was happening is gradually I was putting on all this armor and I wasn't going to let anyone inside it. And so I would be quite normal with people, um, but that no one would ever really get to know me. No one would really get to know my heart. I was never really very vulnerable. And then again, uh, when I moved to Watford, God began to show me a little bit that I needed to needed to work on that. And it began when my friend Mike started to just say to me, "Oh, Andy, I've noticed that you um, you seem to be quite independent." And you seem to not really need that much affirmation from people because every time he tried to say something nice about me, I'd just kind of like, whatever, and brush it off. And then I'd say, yes, I am quite independent. And I thought that was a really good thing. And he said, you haven't thought, maybe you might want to think about, I don't know, being just a little bit more vulnerable with people and a bit more dependent. And my honest response was, why would I want to do that? Because I'll just, you know, I'll get hurt. I'm much stronger if no one can hurt me. Isn't that how we think sometimes? I'm much stronger if no one can ever hurt me. And he began to challenge me. And one of the things that he said that really stayed with me was, Andy, Jesus was vulnerable at times. And that's just a killer when you pull that line out, isn't it? Because, oh, man, if Jesus was vulnerable, I probably should try and be vulnerable at some point. (laughs) Um, And so uh, I began to think about this. And and what happened after a little while is God just began to soften me. And I felt like I'd become incredibly hard. And it it was a bit like... um, just over a period of time, you know, if you take like a rock-hard sponge, like a natural sponge, you drop it in a bath. It's quite hard, but then after a while, it softens. And it was like, after a while, my, my heart began to soften. And it worked itself out in all sorts of real-life ways. So one of the ways that it worked itself out is my, my, um, my brother and I, we grew up in the same house but we never really had, much, we never had a relationship, really. We weren't angry with each other, we didn't argue, but we just never talked about anything that really mattered. So we'd say, pass the catch and pass the TV remote, but it would never go beyond that. And I began to realize that that probably wasn't normal, and uh, it was a revelation for me. And then I thought, okay, I've got to do something about this. My brother wasn't a Christian, and I thought, I've got to try and start to reach out to him. So uh, this was when I was at university. I came home for the weekend, and I decided, right, I'm going to gonna, gonna you know, start a relationship with my brother. So I psyched myself up by going for a massive run. And this is just how I work. So I've got all the adrenaline pumping. And then I went into his bedroom. He's older, two years older than me. I sat down on his bed. He was on his computer. And I just said, uh, straight out of the blue, Paul, I feel like I've never really had a relationship with you. I'd I like to start one. Would that be okay? And... <laughs> He just looked at me really sort of like, what the heck? And he just said, yeah, okay then. And I said, great. And then I got up and walked out. um, (laughs) I'm an idiot. But anyway, that's what I did. And And then I went back to university. And then I would try and go. He was working in London, so I would try and see him. And I remember that I would be sitting on a train going in to see him and for you this might seem so weird but for me it was a big deal it was like I'm scared what if we have nothing to talk about what it's a vulnerability thing I feel like I'm having to you know I could get rejected here this could be painful and and I would literally try and distract myself by reading a novel or by reading something else And, and over time it got easier but that was really difficult. And now I find that, that these emotions that I tried to squash and I tried to crush because I didn't want to get hurt, God has just gently been fanning them into flame. It's a little bit like if you come in from a cold day and your hands are, you know, your hands are all numb from being outside, and you come in and what, what happens is gradually you blow on them and they kind of warm up and life comes back into them. And I found that as I came to know Jesus, it was like getting next to a fire. And it was like, gosh, somehow this, this, this warmth, and this humanity and this life has begun to seep into my bones. And I've never felt more human than I do now. And there have been people I've met again and again and again where, where we try and find a way of changing in all sorts of places, and all sorts of things. And ultimately, the only way to change is to meet him. And he, We get stuck thinking the way it is is the way that it will always be. The loneliness that I know now will never change. The anxiety that I live with now will never change. The depression that I suffer from now will go on forever. The hopelessness that I feel about my future, the rejection that I know in the present, these things will never go away. And what we don't realise is he's the hope for the world, which means he's the hope for me and for you.
0: So thank you for taking the time to listen to these episodes. Our prayer is that as you listen and reflect on these teachings, that you'll be encouraged to continue your journey to maximise your potential to have a good and a happy life. So sign in again next week for more teaching on how you can follow the Jesus way to experience your life is filled with meaning, purpose, and joy. So God bless and stay safe.